Merry Christmas, everyone. And that's much better. I'm not sure that we got that, Dave. Did you all notice that next Saturday night there's no service, only one on the weekend? Okay. Well, that, okay, that was made clear, not to me. I haven't listened to an announcement in 35, 40 years. <laughs> it, just, it just comes announcement time and I tune them out. And, but you're not supposed to do that, right? Uh, I'm a little... Uh, if I didn't know Pastor Dave better, I thought he maybe was taking in some foreign substance that was making him so wired, but I don't think that's the case. But I was a little downcast late this week because I ordered a Christmas jacket from California, ordered it the 2nd, and they estimated time of delivery the 9th. And as of yesterday, the last postal day before this weekend, my jacket isn't here, so I had to settle for... My dollar tie, that's what I paid for it at the dollar store, one dollar. And now I suppose my jacket will come, I could wear it Christmas Eve if it comes Monday. Did you notice that I'm up a little earlier than would normally happen in a service? And that's because the title of the sermon is just one word, worship. And so we're leaving most of the songs where we will worship together Uh, near the close of the service. Father, as we open your word now, would you speak to us? We pray. May we respond in ways that are pleasing to you as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a riddle for you tonight. What has 15 actors, four settings, two writers, and one plot line? Give up, 632 Hallmark movies. (laughs) I don't know, frankly, cross-pointers, I don't know how many more of those Hallmark movies I can take this year. And we have been watching, watching them over the Christmas season. For the past month, I would say three or four a week we have been faithfully watching them. Now, my problem with the Hallmark movies isn't just the sameness of all of those movies. You know how they go. Career girl from the big city comes back to her small hometown, and she bumps into her high school sweetheart, who 15 years later miraculously is still single. And at the beginning of the show, they they irritate each other, obviously don't like each other. No one would ever guess that an hour later, kisses are flying, proposals are made, there are rings on fingers, the movies are so predictable. And how do they do it? Every scene in all of those Hallmark movies, it's doing what? Snowing, every scene. And how many movies are there about a prince from some imaginary European country, he comes to the U.S. of A., to attend university and meets a girl who works at a bakery, a bistro, or a bar, and they fall in like at first, and then one hour later, they fall in love. And, and then he says, would you like to go home with me over the Christmas season and meet my family, never telling her that he's the prince and soon to be the king of Belgrade, Euthania wherever that is. 
I'm just guessing that the screenwriters who did those scripts for those movies must have graduated in the bottom 10% of their class. <laughs> Enough about Hallmark movies. My major complaint, though, about the Hallmark movies is not the sameness of the stories. Here's my problem with those copycat script movies is this. They depict, every movie does, loving families. They, they show giving to the unfortunate, kindness, generosity, forgiveness, reconciliation of family members that long been apart, all Christian values, and they, and they are all called Christmas movies, and they never mention. They never once mention. Rarely do they. You might hear the strains of one of the familiar carols in the background, but they never mention the name Jesus Christ, whose birthday we're celebrating this season. Now, at Crosspoint, maybe you've noticed already, have you, that Christmas is about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Actually, for the other, where's Pastor Dave? Is he still in the room? The other 364 weeks of the year, <laughs> the, other, the other 51 weeks of the year is also about Jesus around here. And so, we're going back. I don't know. The last couple of weeks, I've had a bit of a horse throat. What's the saying? A frog in my throat? What do you suppose a frog says when he gets hoarse? You say, I have a people in my throat? Isn't that awful? I'm sorry. I won't tell any more like that. Okay. <laughs> We're going back to the old story, and I know you're familiar with it, but you won't like the sameness of this story. The fact that you're so very familiar with this story, you won't let that do to you what the Hallmark movies have done to me, I hope. You're not sitting there. Are you saying, oh, here we go again, the same old story every Christmas? I hope you're not thinking that. So here's my word to you tonight. If you'll just listen, the old story, we're talking about old stories that have new truth for you. If you'll just stay with us tonight, I'm sure you're going to find in this message some life-changing truth. I want to remind you, Paul the Apostle originally said it. It's going to be on the screen in front of you. He's writing to young Pastor Timothy, and here's what he says. And you need to be, and I need to be reminded of this on occasion. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. In full voice, why don't you read the rest of that out loud? Read it to me, would you please? It straightens. Were you paying attention to what you just read? It straightens us out, teaches us to do what is right, and, and it's God's way of preparing us for what he wants us to do. Let me ask you tonight, do you believe that? Do you really believe that about the scriptures? Then let's read together the Christmas story one more time, and tonight I'll be odd, you be even. Are we ready? Here we go. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, 
Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men, asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So familiar, this story is. I'm sure I've read it hundreds of times. I've seen it in Christian plays, Christian plays and pantomimes all through the years, seen it depicted in movies. But this week, actually it was maybe about 10, 12 days ago, when I was reading this again, preparing to preach this message to you, these words jumped out at me. They entered the house where the child mother Mary were and they fell down and worshipped him and and it just struck me that these men wise men they've been referred to as kings maybe astrologers astronomers whatever they fell down and worshiped the child Jesus not an adult king sitting there on a throne with a crown on his head but a tiny infant a newborn infant Now, worship is defined as the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. That means that these wise men recognized that this infant in the manger was the very creator God in the flesh. They knew that, and they worshiped him. Now, in this passage, in these few brief verses, I see three truths here, three truths about worship that should help you, and I know they help me. And here's the first truth I want to share to you with you. Worship should always be our approach to Jesus. Let me say that again. I want it to sink. Worship should always be our approach to Jesus. I take you again to verse 11. The wise man entered the house, and they fell down before him and worshiped him. Now, obviously, this was the very first time, and and it appears that it was the one and only time the wise men had ever met Jesus. So, uh, you and I have seen it depicted so many times. We always picture it this way. The wise men come in, they approach, and it would seem that their focus was on that infant child Jesus and him only. Now, I know the Matthew story includes very few details, 
But it does seem that there was, don't you think, maybe a lack of introductions? Wouldn't you think the wise men might come in and uh, Gaspar might begin by saying, this is my friend Belfazar and this is Mel Choir? Apparently, there was none of that. There was a lack of introductions. There was no Q&A as to how the trip to Bethlehem went. How long have you been traveling? There was none of that. All we're told is this. They entered the house. They fell down before him, and they worshiped him. And as we read just moments ago, it was their intent when they came to Jerusalem. They inquired where the child was because they said, we're coming to worship him. Worship was their intent. Worship was their priority. Worship was their whole focus. I wonder if today our, our view of Jesus is so multifaceted. And by that I mean we think of Jesus as our Savior and as well we should. And we think of Jesus often as our companion, our guide, our helper, our friend. And all of those things are true, but we need to remember this. Jesus Christ is God. And worship should be our approach to Jesus every time we come to him. No one is certain of Napoleon Bonaparte's religious beliefs. But he certainly had a strong opinion, a high opinion of Jesus Christ. Bonaparte once wrote these words, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is no mere man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. The ambitious dreams of myself, Bonaparte is referring to himself, The ambitious dreams of myself, Caesar, and Alexander have vanished into thin air. But this Judean peasant, Jesus, is able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and nations. Napoleon Bonaparte recognized that Jesus is and was God. But it would appear that he stopped short of worshiping him. He stopped short of disciple Thomas's famous declaration. You recall, remember Thomas? When Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, he appeared to all the disciples present, but Thomas was not there. Seven days goes by and Jesus appears again and all 12 were there. Thomas had said the week before, unless I can see him, Unless I can see the nail holes in his hands and in his feet, I will not believe. And Jesus appeared, held out his hands to Thomas. And Thomas, what did he do? He worshiped my Lord and my God. Worship should always be our approach to Jesus Christ. And if, now if worship truly is, as the definition defines it, an expression of reverence and adoration, let me ask you, before you leave tonight, if you haven't already, will you be worshiping Jesus Christ? Will you? Lord Nelson was a well-known admiral in the British Navy whose leadership resulted in several naval victories 200 years ago. He was always gracious as a victor. 
he treated his opponents with great kindness and courtesy. After one of his victories, the defeated admiral admiral was brought aboard Nelson's ship and up to Nelson's deck. He knew already Nelson's reputation for courtesy and thinking to take advantage of that, he made his way across the deck thinking to shake hands as if to shake hands with Nelson as an equal. And as he approached Nelson, Nelson's arms remained by his side and he said these words, your sword first, sir, and then your hand. Before you and I can be friends with Jesus Christ, we must submit to him as Lord. Worship must be our approach to Jesus. That's why we call this service. You said, where are you going? Somebody may have asked you, where are you going this evening? And you said, I'm going to what kind of a service? Worship service. A worship service, yes. Just before we leave this first thought, I want you to notice that when the wise men entered the house where the child was, it says that they fell down. They fell down before him and worshipped him. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's a rule, that that's a practice for all Christians in, in every approach at all times. But here's my question to you and to me. Shouldn't my worship, shouldn't my worship, at least on occasion, be characterized by some outward evidence? What do you think? Uh, shouldn't it be obvious during a worship service that I am worshiping because people looking at my face, they think he is worshiping? Shouldn't, shouldn't there be, uh, shouldn't my, I give way at times, my voice give way to some verbal expression, some body posture, maybe kneeling, maybe bowing, maybe with my hand or both hands raised? British journalist and writer H.V. Morton tells of his visit years ago to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And he came to a, a great wall, and to get inside to the site where it is said that Jesus was born, he had to go through a door that was so low he had to bend in order to enter. Here's my question for you. Do you think it's significant that still today, if you were to travel to Bethlehem to see the place where Jesus was born, you would not be able to enter in there without bending low. The scripture here says the wise men fell down before him and worshipped him. So an attitude of worship should always characterize our every approach to Jesus Christ. Here's the second truth I would share with you. Worship opens our hearts to give and to serve. I take you back to verse 11. It says they, they fell down before him and worshipped him. And then it says they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshipped. Did you notice? They worshipped. Then they gave. One follows the other. Worship and then giving. Worship truly opens the heart. Now, I'm not suggesting that those original visitors to the Christ child, the wise man, 
didn't plan to give gifts long before they started on their journey. Perhaps they did. Probably they did. But this I am sure of. Once they were in the presence of the Christ, once those wise men worshipped, their giving of gifts was not a hard give. Do you know what a hard give is? I think you're with me on this. A hard give. A hard give for you would be when you, you're giving or you're serving, but you're doing it somewhat reluctantly or begrudgingly. In other words, you're serving, you're giving, but there's no joy to it. It's when you do it out of duty instead of devotion. When you worship, though, when you truly worship Him, when you express reverence and adoration, that's devotion, and it opens up your heart to give and to serve and to do it joyfully and willingly. The young man was an immigrant for a country where arranged marriages were the norm. Don't know if you understand the whole concept of an arranged marriage, but there are still countries in the world today where the young person desiring to marriage has no say in who they marry. That choice is made by the parents. This is the case for this young man. So he was struggling as to whether he would go through with it or not. He was having second thoughts about whether he would adhere to this custom, this ancient custom especially since he had never met her, not even once. But the day she flew in, he dutifully, he dutifully stood, flowers in hand, at the airport with a gloomy expression on his face, waiting for her to get off the plane. But the instant, the instant that she stepped into the terminal, everything changed. She was beautiful. His glum demeanor disappeared. The thought of marrying this woman as he stood there looking at her was no longer a dreaded duty. All of a sudden, the thought of marrying her was a delight. What changed? Just one thing. He saw her. You know, we're needing volunteers in the new year. We need volunteers in our youth ministry. We're needing more volunteers in the children's ministry, in our first impressions team, and in other areas of the church. And if, if we announce it, maybe I should say, if we continue to announce that, that, like we have been, maybe if we plead a little more, maybe if I came to some of you and put on a little pressure, maybe twisted your arm a little bit, maybe that would get some of you to agree to Come on duty. But if we can get you, you with me? If we, can, if we can get you to see him, if we can get you to really see Jesus, everything changes. Duty becomes delight. Have to becomes want to. Have you experienced that in your own serving, in your own giving? If we have made you feel these past weeks, well, I ought, to, I ought to help with the Liberian well. Uh, getting you to worship, getting you in this room, and getting you to see Jesus, truly see him, will have you delighting in your gift of clean water for that village in Liberia. You see it? Worship 
opens our heart. When we see Jesus, it opens our heart to serve and to give. Here's the third and last truth I want to share with you. Worship makes us sensitive to God's leading. Worship makes us sensitive to God's leading. You see, the wise men worshiped, then they gave their gifts, and look at verse 12 there before you. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way. You notice the reason why they went another way? Because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You remember Herod's request of them earlier in the story? I say his request of them. He was the king. It was probably his order to them. His word to them earlier in the passage was, I want you to go now and search for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. They didn't know. Those wise men at that point didn't know what we now know about wicked King Herod. So God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Do you see it? They worshiped the Christ child. Then God, who already had their attention, told them, and they got it clearly, don't go back to Jerusalem. I want you to go home another way. Avoid Herod because he's up to no good. Hear me. Here's the truth I have for you here. You are never more in tune with God and his, and his will for you than when you are in his presence. Think with me now. You're never more in tune with him than when you're worshiping him. When you get close to God as you do in worship, and that could be here in this room or it could be while you're driving your car or at home. You, when you get close to God as you do in worship, then you know, you, you just seem to know his mind. You think his thoughts. You, you know his voice. It's easy for you to discern his will and his ways. And you instinctively know his plan for you when you're in his presence. Back in my seminary years, we lived in Kentucky for three years. And we traveled many times back and forth between here and there. And often we'd travel on purpose through the middle of the big cities just to have that experience. Pittsburgh and Columbus and Cincinnati and Hartford, Boston, New York, to name a few. Our oldest two children at that time were seven and eight years of age. They would always get a little bit nervous at my apparent uncertainty as to whether we should make a left or whether we should make a right. Now, of course, uh, I don't think I was ever really lost. So I used to say, and of course, uh, like some of you other guys in this room, we really don't like to stop and ask directions, really not necessary. And my kids would say things to me like, Dad, are we lost? And I had a standard response that still today, my kids long since grown and moved away, they remember it yet. I would say to them, just, just stick with me, kids, and you'll be fine. Last week, I met with two different ladies that made appointments and, to come in and talk to me. 
Both of these ladies were looking for guidance. They were, they were facing life decisions and wondering which way to turn. One of them was just by her own language was saying, I'm just feeling a little bit lost. My advice to both of them was simply here. Come here. Come here and experience the presence of the Lord. Come and worship him. And you'll find his direction for your life. Let me ask you, do you need direction? Looking for direction in your life? Looking, looking for God's leading? Maybe it's in a small matter or maybe it's a major life decision. Stick with Jesus and you'll be just fine. Get close to him. Worship him. Worship makes us sensitive to God's leading. Worship opens, opens our heart to give and to serve and to do it joyfully. Worship should always be our approach to Jesus. Bible scholar N.T. Wright was asked on one occasion, if you were on your deathbed and your children were standing around you, what would you say to them? And here is what his answer was. He said just this. He said, I would say to them, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but part of the drama that has him as the central character. My message to you tonight is simply this. Look at Jesus. Maybe there's someone in this room tonight that you, you need to respond to Jesus. You've never come to the place where you've repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. You could do it right here, right tonight. Look at Jesus. There's some in this room that are seriously needing some direction in your life as it, re, as it relates to some decision that you're faced with. My word for you is simply this. Look to Jesus. Someone in this room, perhaps you would admit that your relationship with Jesus was once far stronger than it is today. You've known better days in your spiritual walk. You're not as close as you once were. My message to you tonight is just this. Look to Jesus. So let's worship together these next moments. We're going to ask, we call this, the people behind me, we call them worship leaders. Because it's their job, not for you to look at them and be thinking, although it would be true if you thought it, what a great voice, what a great talent to play that instrument. But a true job of a worship leader is when you look at them, your attention is drawn to Jesus Christ and you worship him. And so I'm going to ask them now, these next 10 or 15 minutes, we're just going to worship together. I'm going to invite you to stand. Please stand with me. And maybe as you worship tonight, I'm going to open the altar. Maybe your thinking is, I would like to give some expression to my worship tonight. I invite you to use the altars. You could come and kneel and worship that way. But whatever, how your, whatever impulse is in you during these next moments as you worship in voice, Raise a hand. I invite you, let's worship him together.